Man. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25 is going to be the text that's going to set us up for uh, what I want to speak on today. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at The Well, and it's a privilege and an honor to have you this weekend, this beautiful, finally, summer weekend. Come on, somebody. A little sun outside. Romans chapter 7, verse 13 says this, Therefore, did what is good to become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. This is Paul's lead into what I want to get to. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Can we all agree that many times in our life we live fleshy? Right? Sold as a slave to sin. Here's what I want us to hear this morning. This is, this is Paul's... Um, massive statement, uh, a statement that uh, is probably one of my most favorite pieces of scripture uh, in the Bible. And it says this, for I do not understand what I am doing. Anybody ever been there before? Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. I, I, this is, I call this the doo-doo scripture, just a heads up. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me, so I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present. You ever been there before? This desire to step into something good, to step in, to, to make the right decision, to engage in God's plan and will for my life, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. This is a massive piece of scripture we're going to deal with today. Because it's right here that Paul talks about what we just sang about right here, and that is cycles. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Come on. Thanks be to God. What a wretched man am I. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, myself, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I'm in a cycle. So today as we continue on in our series in process, I want to speak to you from the subject fighting the Ferris wheel. Fighting the Ferris wheel. As we look at breaking cycles in our lives. One more time, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words. Speak to us now. Have your way into this place. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I am not a huge fan of Ferris wheels. <laughs> Two reasons. Heights and circular motion. <laughs> they are two things that I believe do not belong together. And so I remember distinctly one, one year as a kid, <clears throat> we went to Lagoon. How many of you have been to Lagoon before, right? In the middle of summer, August in Lagoon? It's a, it's a praiseworthy moment. Um, 
So we were there and we, were, we, were doing the, we did the Ferris wheel. And I remember distinctly one weekend uh, that we were there getting stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel. And not stuck, it didn't break down or anything. It's just the conductor at the bottom decided to pause it at the top. To which I was like, thank you very much. I hate you, right? <laughs> and see, for me now, even as an adult, I do not like the idea of getting onto a Ferris wheel. My kids, when we go into Shields, how many of you have been to Shields before? Right? It is the only store where you can go get nice Nike shoes and ride a Ferris wheel and have caramelized almonds. It's awesome. But Justice, every time we go in there, he runs straight for the fish. He wants to look at the fish, and then he runs to the Ferris wheel. Dad, can we go on the Ferris wheel? And I'm a good dad. I live out of my fear. I tell him no every time. <laughs> We've yet to go on the Ferris wheel because for me, there, there's, there's no point in it. I'm a, I'm a guy of practical nature, and so I look at the Ferris wheel, I look at a circle, and then I try to have a conversation with my son. Justice, can you please explain to me the reasoning behind getting ourselves onto a wheel that goes round and round and round and round just to have a sadistic conductor at the bottom leave us at the top because he's feeling crazy. <laughs> and so I fight against the Ferris wheel. The problem is, is that I think for many of us, that's, that's how life goes. I think for many of us, if we're really, really brutally honest in here, we're fighting the Ferris wheel. We're doing what Paul was doing. I do not do what I do want to do, and I do do what I do not want to do. It's the Ferris wheel. It goes around and around and around because for many of us, it's life. It's what we're used to. We say things like, that's the way that it is. That's the way that it's always been. This is how my family's always been. This has been how I've acted all along. This is how I've thought for my entire life. This is what I do. You ever been there before? I hate being stuck. Anybody else with me? Stalled or stopped in a cycle, especially ones that are not good for my life. And this is what Paul is dealing with as he pins this amazingly vulnerable truth about himself to the church at Rome. What I love about this scripture is that as we read this scripture, for many of us, we can say, man, I struggle with faith and I struggle with church and I struggle with Christians because, well, they're not vulnerable. They're not real. They're not. And this is Paul being real, like real, real, like real, 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 real. This is what Paul's doing. He's saying, this is, this is if you want to know what my heart is, if you want to know what my inner world looks like, if you want to know my thought processes, this is what it is. I do not do what I do want to do and I do do what I do not want to do. Got a lot of doo-doo in my life. <laughs> cycles. Let me shout cycles. 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 These are the things in our lives, and I think this is on the screen. Yep. If you can get this, take a picture of it if you need to. These are the things in our lives that include movement, and because they do, they trick us into believing that we're in process. The problem is that cycles are not processed, they're prisons, keeping us enslaved to that which keeps us bound. And I think the problem is, is that many of us have a hard time, myself included, have a hard time understanding the difference between cycles and, and, and process, cycles and process, because cycles include movement, but no process. It's the same thing, and we get tricked into believing that we're making process because we're in movement, but process looks different than cycles, and we're going we're gonna to look at how that works. Cycles are the things that we're going around and around and around in in our life. You ever been there? And if I'm really honest with our church this morning, I got cycles in my life. I got patterns of thinking that don't measure up or match up to what God has for me. I, I have ways of doing things that I've been doing for a long time in my life that I, I've got to be careful 
and, and ask myself, am I in a cycle or am I in process? Am I in a cycle where I'm just allowing that thing to be what that thing is or am I in process? Am I moving forward? Am I finding degrees of freedom? And last week, if you were here, we talked about freedom last week. Today, I want us to look at how we break cycles. Because I don't know about you, but I believe today can be a day that we walk out of here breaking cycles in our lives. Come on, anybody else with me this morning? So these things that are in our lives that include movement, but they trick us because we're actually just in a, in a cycle. Watch what the writer of Proverbs would, deal, would say as he would deal with this, this issue. Now, powerful imagery right here, okay? So just let the Bible speak for itself. Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so also a fool repeats his foolishness. Come on, can I get an amen in church this morning? That's just Bible. That's not, that's not my, as a dog returns to its vomit, that's a nasty picture, right? This is why I don't understand why people allow their dogs to lick their faces, but that's a whole other message. It's a whole other message. <laughs> so cute. These are pointed and painted words, but I cannot begin to tell you the amount of times that I've done this in my own life. And in doing so, finding myself in the same place, Fall found himself doing what he did not want to do. You ever been there before? And you know this, is, this thing's not healthy for me, and this thing's not good for me, and I shouldn't be thinking this way, and this relationship's not the best for me, I know God has more for me, but I just see, instead of processing, I keep on cycling. Instead of processing and moving one step further into freedom, I keep on cycling back to this thing that I know is unhealthy for me, but for some reason, I just can't break the cycle. Go around and around and around and around. I want us to break cycles this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to look at three ways that we break cycles in our lives, how we break them. All right, so every turn your neighbor this morning, say we're going to break a cycle. Turn your other neighbor and say, I'm going to break your cycle. Don't talk to me that way. <laughs> so let's take the remainder of our time together to look at how we break cycles that we find ourselves in throughout life. I need your help this morning. Come on, Bishop. Number one, the first thing that we need to do is we need to redeem the art of repentance in our lives. This is going to be a harder one for us because even right now, some of you just heard the word repentance and it, and it equals a four-letter word for you. There's a repentance expletive. That's how, that's how it looks and feels. Even for me, when I wrote this down, I was like, whoa. Because many of us don't understand this, this term, repentance. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14 says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, okay? Pharisees, they thought they were awesome. Everything was awesome. Like, they were good. They had everything together. And tax collectors were just evil, uh, just ragged, nasty people. That's how it was perceived. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. Think about it. Like, listen to the sentencing of this. This is great. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> this is the Bible. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, this is church. <laughs> greedy. This is what he said. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
Just imagine if you were in church just praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like the neighbor next to me. God, I got so much stuff going on. Thank you that I'm so great. Thank you that I'm not like Bree. How awful is this prayer? This is probably the, other, this is the one time that if this prayer was going down in church and you punched somebody, I'd be like, eh, all right, we're good. Then he goes on to say this. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think one of the greatest travesties that I believe has taken place in the modern church is the negative painting and characterizing of repentance. Biblically speaking, repentance is one of the most beautiful and fulfilling realities of faith in Jesus that one can participate in. It is not a negative term. Theologically, doctrinally, as I, as I look at this, this measure of our faith, I look at it and I'm once again brought to the place to see the beauty in it. And understanding what it is, I step back and I go, God, that's such an amazing part of my faith that as I engage in this sacred act between me and God, I actually find one of the greatest parts of my relationship with him. Unfortunately, it's been hijacked by doomsdayers, legalists, and religious zealots, and used as a weapon of mass destruction rather than a tool of healing of which it is. See, repentance, not the negative term, that it's been made out to be repentance. Rather, it's such a significant and beautiful truth and tenor of the gospel that as we engage and participate in it, we come face to face with the strength and veracity of a gospel that breaks cycles in our lives. One theologian put it this way. He said these, these translations, this word repentance, have caused much of European and American Christianity, listen to this, to chant its faith in the wrong key. I read that and I was like, are you kidding me? No one talks that way anymore. To chant its faith in the wrong key, regret, remorse, and morbid introspection have been regarded as characteristics of true piety and repentance. The wrong key. So we've got to understand then what repentance is. What's the right key of repentance? What does it do? Repentance has three significant applications to our lives. The first one is this, is repentance changes our perspective. This is what repentance is. So let, let, let's, make it, let's make it a little bit more palatable for us. It changes the way in which we see and perceive things. And this is important because how we see and perceive has a direct effect on how we think and decide. This truth directly impacts the cycles that we are consistently finding ourselves in. See, when we understand that repentance is the act of changing my perspective, it causes me to see things differently. It causes me to look at my situations. It causes me to look at my, my problems. It causes me to look at my patterns and my cycles in ways that I originally didn't. It causes you to look. It's like the whole 30 of faith. How many of you have ever done the whole 30 before? It's like none of us in here. Okay, perfect. Two of us. All right, one, two, three. Yeah, you my people. It's awesome. 
They like vegetables. Um, so if you've done the Whole30 before, in the first 15 days of the Whole30, right, you want to jump into a vat of carbohydrates. Just like, give me all the cake, give me all the donuts and everything like that. And it was, it was striking because I remember Eric and I did the Whole30, and as we're doing the Whole30, like it's death the first 15 days. Like you're just, dre- why? If I see another cucumber, I'm going to hurt somebody. Day 15, all of a sudden, something switched. Vegetables were beautiful. (laughs) Ghee, which is like the purest of butter. Succulent. And praiseworthy. Lean meats and nuts without anything on them became the most amazing thing that would ever touch my lips. It's the whole 30. (laughs) I want you to get this because this is repentance at the end of the day. Is that repentance changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we perceive things. When I was in the whole 30, I was sleeping better, right? I, I like, my body felt better. I had more energy. Everything had changed. And then when we'd get to these meals, and all of a sudden I got geeked about it. Erica was like Instagramming the meals that I was cooking. Why? Because all of a sudden I was excited about yams. <laughs> and all the things I could do with yams, I was like, did you know you could do this with butternut squash? Spaghetti squash, yams, sweet potatoes. We don't need potatoes, sweet potatoes. All of a sudden, my view on all vegetables, I'd walk into Harmon's and I'd get giddy in the vegetable aisle because I realized there's so much more I can do with all of these wonderful things. Some of you are like, nope, just give me donuts, I'm good. (laughs) The whole 30 changed the way that I saw things. That's what repentance does is it changes the way that we see things, it changes our perspective. Repentance adjusts our direction. See, this is an important truth when it comes to breaking cycles. You see, repentance is the decision to change direction, which requires a hard stop, a pivot, and then another move in the opposite direction from what we were previously moving in. This direction is Godward in nature, scope, and passion. And see, for many of us, we're in these cycles and we're trying to figure out why I can't break the cycle. And at a certain moment, we've got to stop. We've got to understand repentance is a hard stop, a shift in direction, a pivot, and saying, I'm going to move in a Godward fashion. Cycles are broken when we stop and pivot. We shift. And the words that we see throughout the Old Testament in the The New Testament show us that it's literally a shift. Repentance meaning a a shift in direction. I'm going one way, I'm in this cycle. I'm going to get out of the cycle by breaking it, stopping and moving in a Godward direction. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? And can I say something about this issue? This is for every single one of us. This is not for those of us who don't know God and then everybody else gets a pass. Uh-huh. Repentance is a part of our faith. It's part of who we are. You do not graduate or mature past repentance. Those of us who have been Christians for a while, we don't graduate past that. We, if, we, if we're not careful, we become like that tax collector who then prays prayers like, God, thank you, I'm not like this person over here. The minute you think that way, repentance is necessary. Come on, somebody. <laughs> 
So repentance adjusts our direction. Don't get quiet on me this morning. And the last one is this, repentance supports our faith. These are the tenets of repentance. It supports our faith. In other words, where there is faith, there is repentance, and where there is repentance, there is faith. They support each other. John Murray puts it well when he says this. Again, if we remember that repentance is turning from sin to God, the turning to God implies faith in the mercy of God as revealed in Christ. It is impossible to disentangle faith and repentance. Saving faith is permeated with repentance and repentance is permeated with faith. If I have faith, I have repentance. If I have repentance, I have faith. They go together. My faith in God calls me to a place where I go, God, I just want to see it your way. I just want to see it how you see it. I want to engage in it. And even though I do not do what I do want to do and I do do what I do not want to do, every single moment I start finding myself in that cycle of I do not do what I do want to do and I do do what I do not want to do. Cycle, 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 repentance. Stop. My faith is, God, how? Help me see the way that you see. Help me hear the way that you hear. Help me understand where it is that you're taking me to. Why? Because I want to follow you, and I want to be with you, and I want to be in your presence, and I want my life to be engaged in your will for me. So the first way that we break cycles... is that we've got to bring back the art of repentance. Come on, every shot number two. Second thing is this, is that we need to return to redemptive thinking patterns in our lives. Come on, is there an amen in church this morning? <laughs> we need to return to redemptive thinking patterns in our lives. Second Corinthians 10, three through five says this, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but check this out, are powerful through God for the, for the demolition of strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against what? The knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. And then he says to obey Christ. Here's a great question to ask when our minds start doing the things that they do sometimes. Is this thought in obedience to Christ? I have a very vivid imagination. My mind works in weird ways. Some of you are like, yep, mm hmm I get that. I think a lot. I, I, I'm constantly looking at, looking at things and thinking about things and analyzing things and and looking at stories and, and looking at situations in life, and my mind has a tendency, if I'm not careful, my mind has a tendency to go into dark places. Because I'm trying to figure out, when I, when I, when I prepare messages, if the, if, for those of you who know me, I labor over these things. Why? Because I'm trying to allow my mind to go to the, some of the places that our lives find themselves in, and they are dark places at times in order to try to bring some thought and some reality to what it is that we're working with and, and, and working through. And so I go to dark places sometimes and there's really, there, there's some moments when I'm laying my head down to go to bed that my mind starts doing something that I do not want it to do. And it's in that moment that I gotta ask the question, God, is this thought in obedience to you or is it in obedience to me? And so we've got to take our thoughts captive. We have to realize that breaking cycles, the way to do this is we need to return to redemptive thinking patterns 
in our lives. This is what Paul would say in Philippians 4, 8 to 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. The, every shout, these. Dwell on these things. And do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And then watch what happens. When I dwell on these things, the God of peace will be with me. The God of peace. What are you dwelling on? You ever thought about that before? What am I dwelling on? What is the, the cycle of the thought process that's going on in your head? When you walk into a place like this, and maybe you're new, or maybe you haven't developed relationships or, or, or community yet, and you walk in, and, and maybe in your head, on the outside, you're like, oh, man, good. Walking in, you're all confident. Hey, just good. And inside your head, you're like, none of these people are going to like me. They're going to find out what's been happening in my life. I'm ashamed of myself right now. There's no good thing in me. There's no possible way I can be in community. There's no way that God would want me to be in a place like this with all these other perfect people. See what I'm saying? And it's in that moment where I gotta go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. I gotta, I gotta think on these things, whatever. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And while I tend to do things that I do not wanna do and I do do what I do not wanna do, I'm gonna break that cycle because I'm gonna change my thinking pattern and I'm gonna engage in a redemptive thinking pattern. I'm gonna worship God with everything I am. I'm gonna engage in vulnerability and transparency so that people can actually know the real me. My wife and I are working really hard right now in this phase of our marriage. We're gonna be married 15 years in January, which is awesome. And we're entering into this new phase of marriage right now where we're trying to double down on some things and not like do status quo marriage and get comfy, right? And so we're asking, like, she's like, what are you thinking about right now? And one of two types of conversations is gonna flow out of that question. The first one is gonna be this big, in-depth, crazy thing that I'm thinking about. And she's like, nope, didn't wanna know, uh-uh, nope. And then other times I'm gonna go, nothing at all, because I'm a dude. <laughs> or actually, a third, a th there's a third equation to that, which is the life cycle of a bug, and I'm trying to figure out where I need to be so I can fly fish appropriately. That's the third area that I'll find myself in. See, Paul's injunctions to the Philippians was to anchor their minds in that which could only be produced by God. See, for many of us, what we're doing is we're allowing our minds to think on things through our own rationale instead of thinking on things that are God-breathed. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about? Right now, what are you thinking about? For some of us, we're thinking about our shopping list. We're thinking about that dinner that we've got in the crock pot right now. Is he gonna end early so I can get out and get this thing done? Some of us right now are thinking about exactly what we've been talking about. And right now there's this internal, you got a smile on your face, but inside you're going, my goodness, there's a cycle. There's a cycle. Where are you at this morning? What are we thinking about? And in order to break cycles, we have to, re we have to return to redemptive thinking patterns. 
Can I be honest with you this morning? Just a moment of transparency and vulnerability. I actually can be extremely insecure. If I'm honest. I worked a large part of my life to build certain things into my life that wouldn't let people see that. Some of you are like, well, you're so confident. You get up on stage and you talk about all these things and you don't care what people look like and everything like that. And here's, here's, the, here's the thing that I have to do every single weekend to make sure that I'm not entering into my own thinking pattern is when I get off this stage and I go home and it's just me and my wife and my kiddos, I ask this question, did they like me? Versus did they hear something from God? And I gotta be honest, when I'm operating in insecurity, I care what people think. But when I'm operating and I'm standing in the confidence that comes from, I don't care what anybody thinks. I hope you receive something from Jesus. That's my battle. That's my thinking. So I've got I've to switch my modes. Is anybody hearing what I'm talking about this morning? I've got to switch my modes of thinking. In order to break cycles, I need to change it. And the third one is this, the last one is this. Number three, we need to receive the regenerative love of Jesus in our lives. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says this, we were, for we too were once foolish. Watch what he says, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in the malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. See a cycle there? Well, the cycle's right there. But when the kindness, oh, come on, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Notice it was the kindness of Jesus, not the judgment. Notice it was the kindness of God that made me see his mercy. It was the kindness of God that when I was in a cycle, He loved me, and in injecting his heart into my cycle, it caused me to stop, repent, think differently, and allow his love to change me. And some of us are stuck in cycles with our marriages and our thinking and our feelings and our, and our hurts and our pain where we're making foolish decisions and, and we're deceived and we're enslaved by various passions, cycles, 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 cycles. We're on this big, gigantic Ferris wheel and some of us are stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel and we're trying to figure out what is going on. How does this change? And I want to encourage us in this moment that God is the God of breaking cycles. When we sit in moments like this. He wants to break cycles in our lives. I'm going to ask everybody to just stand on their feet in this moment. We're going to sing something. We've got a few minutes here. See, a hard part of a service like this is we can go, okay, there's your knowledge for the day, but now we're going to have application. Application, I think, is important. We're going to break some cycles. 
I'm gonna ask everybody just to, in this moment, close your eyes. And if you're comfortable, let's lift our hands toward heaven. And so Jesus, right now, we surrender to you. We repent. We look where we're at and what you have for us and we realize that there's a difference so many times. And so we repent, we turn, and we say we wanna follow you because there's power in your name. Come on, let's sing this out right now.